Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, before we get the show started in earnest, I want to take care of a couple of pieces of business here. First of all, tonight is a big night for us around Dog Nation, a chance for us to all get together in person. We're going to be live tonight at the Marlowe's Tavern in Brookhaven. This is a special happy hour get-together. That means the festivities start at 5 p.m., a little earlier than we oftentimes do, but we're going to be there hanging out, happy hour. This is going to be a relaxed, casual vibe. We're going to be settled in. I've got my Gator Hater t-shirt on. We're going to be making fun of those lousy, stinking Gators before they go out there and lose to Utah. It's going to be a great time. We will see you there tonight, 5 p.m. for a happy hour hangout, and then a 6 p.m. broadcast. Once again, also a little bit of a special time, a 6 p.m. broadcast for Dog Nation's happy hour. Now, Kaylee Manziel is going to host that. She's going to be in person there at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven. The entire Dog Nation team, I understand, going to be on hand for this there as well. So we'll see you tonight, 6 p.m., Marlowe's in Brookhaven, for those of you here in the Atlanta area or those of you who can make it to the Atlanta area for a uh, fun event because we always have folks who kind of come in from out of town for something like this. We'll see you there, 6 p.m. tonight, Marlowe's in Brookhaven for the special broadcast, the Dog Nation Happy Hour. Cannot wait to see you there. That is going to be a really good time. Now, one more thing to say, and then we'll kind of move on with what I want to open today's show with. It's never a very comfortable feeling when you have to confront your own hypocrisy. And most of us find hypocrisy pretty distasteful. And yet most of us sometimes when we uh, maybe uh, don't want to admit it, but maybe many of us also kind of have our own hypocritical moments. I think for me, there's going to be an example of that on today's show. One of the main things that I've talked about here in the last few days in the lead up to tonight's SEC opener, Florida going, actually Vanderbilt played week zeros, that's not even true, but Florida going to uh, play Utah tonight is, is I believe there's been a huge overreaction to the Utah quarterback situation simply because this is week one and everybody's just so jonesing for football that they're just so ready to see some sort of game played that every storyline has been magnified more than it probably should be. We've talked about that a uh, lot over the course of the last couple of days and yet even as I've kind of called at others for making too much of the quarterback situation for Utah when I look at our rundown as simple and flimsy as it is for today's show when I look at that what I realize is oh I'm essentially going to break down Florida Utah today as if it were the Super Bowl so so maybe I'm just as hypocritical as anybody else and just as guilty as everybody else of kind of overrating everything that's going to happen out in Salt Lake City tonight but it's all for a good reason it's all because we are just that excited about the return of football so more on the lousy stinking Gators and what is destined I believe to be a loss for them in Salt Lake City tonight that's coming up in a moment how about before that though some Georgia football talk and I thought Kirby Smart was asked an interesting question in one of his media appearances this week and I thought that Kirby gave a pretty direct answer and for Kirby who chooses his words pretty carefully and typically is not too effusive with his praise about anything in any given moment when he was asked about what excites him about this team here for this season because after all we would all say Georgia football the last two years has been incredibly exciting back-to-back national champions go for two and 22 a year ago and Stetson Bennett's a Heisman finalist and you've got you know five first round picks off the 2021 team and another handful of first round picks off last year's team and so many exciting highlight type plays that Georgia football has been defined by excitement for the last couple of years 
But in 2023, it's a new team. It's a new mission. Now it's go for three in 23. You've heard us talk about that. So it's a new reason to be excited. As fans, we all have our uh, various things that we're excited about. But how about Kirby Smart in particular? What excites him about Georgia football for the upcoming season? This is the answer that Kirby Smart gave a little earlier this week. excites me about this team is the maturity level, the approach they've taken to their work. So we had an off-season workout program. We had a spring practice, which I was very pleased with. We had summer workouts, which I was very pleased with. We had camp that uh, it wasn't our very best camp, but we also had a lot tougher circumstances than we've ever had in camp. Uh, I can say that the, we've had better practices, but we've never had 110 degree heat either. So I'm very excited about like every day you go to work with this group, they're fun to be around because they actually listen to what you say and they try to do it like you say it. And that, that that's important. I mean, who you are intangibly is really important and they, they've done a great job uh, with that. Now, still got to transition to the field and the game. So I think when Kirby Smart says, I'm excited about the maturity level of this team. I think for most Georgia fans, that sounds pretty good to their ears. And when Kirby says, after saying that, that now we want to see how that shows up on the field against an opponent other than ourselves, like this Saturday against Tennessee Martin, I think that also reflects the overall curiosity that Georgia fans have about all of this too. And and specifically it comes down to this. Okay, well, does that maturity then that Kirby Smart says he sees in his team – does that allow Georgia to just kind of step on the field on Saturday and just lay waste to Tennessee Martin? And I'm talking about to the tune of a six or a seven touchdown win. Because what we know is a year ago, you know, Georgia didn't always show up at its best against the lesser teams that it played. Think about Kent State, think about Samford. Now, ultimately, that didn't really matter all that much because Georgia proved very capable of flipping the switch when it needed to. But I think for most of us who kind of saw Georgia playing against the lesser non-conference foes a year ago, even Georgia Tech at the end of the season to a certain extent, that when Georgia was playing lesser non-conference foes last year, it was kind of content to just sort of mess around and get out with a win and move on to the following week, which ultimately did not prove to be all that fatal to Georgia. In fact, it didn't even prove to be all that problematic for Georgia. They were at their best when they needed to be. But I think the mark of a mature team might be, at least one of the ways you can measure the maturity that Kirby Smart says he's seen, is do they show up and play all 15 games that they'll have a chance to play this year? Do they show up and play all 15 games with the same level of intensity, with the same level of enthusiasm? And This is where I have to be honest and say, I don't quite know that we necessarily get that from Georgia on Saturday, not because they're not mature and not because they're not focused, but for the fan who wants to see that maturity put on display to the tune of a 65 to 7 win, right? Let's just be honest here for a moment. The last time we saw Georgia play a football game, it was winning 65 to 7 against the national runner-up TCU do I think that George is going to beat Tennessee Martin 65 to 7 on Saturday I actually kind of don't so if if you are expecting that or if you think just logically you should see that just given how much Georgia laid waste to the last team that it played in the college football playoff national championship game no less as weird as it sounds I'm guessing from a performance standpoint we probably see something a little less than that from Georgia on Saturday just because that's kind of been the MO here a a bit. And beyond that, I think that there's also the issue of, I think there's a fairly long list of things on Saturday that Georgia probably doesn't want 
to show for various reasons. In fact, I was jotting a few of these down before the show began. You know, I don't know how much Georgia wants to use Brock Bowers on Saturday. Those who got a chance to go to the McGill scrimmage a couple of weeks ago back in August, they'll tell you that Bowers wasn't necessarily used a lot during that scrimmage. He's a great player. Everyone knows what he brings to the table. No reason to risk injury for a guy that works hard and gives you his best every time he goes out there. He probably doesn't need those reps. He's almost like the college version of an NFL veteran. You can give him a little bit of rest right there. And if that's the way that Bowers was treated during an August scrimmage, could he also be treated the same way in a glorified scrimmage to begin the season against a team like Tennessee Martin? I believe that's probably the case. I don't know how much Brock Bowers we see on Saturday. Conversely, another guy who I think could have a chance to be a really big part of this Georgia offense here this year, Dominic Lovett, go back to G-Day. Lovett played. That was one of the guys going into that scrimmage back in April that I was as excited to see as almost anybody that George was going to put out there that day. And ultimately, we didn't see a ton of love. It had a couple of catches, a couple times. He obviously looked the part of the sensational transfer that he's believed to be. But he wasn't a massive part of what Georgia did during G-Day. That's perhaps a snapshot of how I believe Saturday is going to go there, too. Where love it when you play a team like Auburn on the road or a team like Tennessee on the road later in the season. Love it may be one of the focal points for your game plan on that particular day. But why give that away before you have to? Why demonstrate that before you have to? Perhaps Georgia, who I believe intentionally concealed love at some during G Day, that's my personal belief. I believe they could intentionally conceal him some more as a way of unveiling him when you really want to kind of put pressure on your opponent. So if I'm right about that, that's another playmaker, big part of the story for Georgia that might not quite be on full display against Tennessee Martin. Then you have the injury issues where, you know, Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards, it sounds like they're making nice progress towards fully healthy returns, but they're probably not there yet. You're not playing an Oregon or a Clemson, the teams you opened the last two seasons with. Therefore, you've got the luxury to ease them back in. And I believe taking it easy on both those two potentially terrific running backs is something that Georgia might do there as well. You've got injury concerns at least a little bit for guys like Ladd McConkie. That's another playmaker that you might say, I'm not really quite so sure how much Georgia wants to, needs to use a guy like that on this particular day. So, And, and I'm going to get this to a positive place in a moment, so don't, don't give up on me just yet. But the point here is, for those people who want to see Georgia beat Tennessee Martin as bad as they beat TCU, uh, with the kinds of sort of playmakers either somewhat limited, coach's decision, injury, whatever else, and the kinds of things that maybe Georgia doesn't want to put on full display yet until it really needs to, you know, that might kind of put a little bit of a governor on the overall offensive explosion for Georgia this particular Saturday. So they're going to take this into a positive direction. Well, B.A., what are we going to see then? If we're not going to see the running game, if we're not going to see the wide receivers like Ladd and Dominic Lovett, if we're not going to see Brock Bowers, if we're not going to see all this kind of stuff, what are we going to see? Well, here's what I do believe you get a chance to see, and I do believe this is the way you can measure what Georgia puts out there on Saturday. I think you're going to get a chance to see a lot from Carson Beck. And I think the decisions that Carson Beck makes are going to go a long way towards determining how comfortable he is and what is his first start as the Georgia quarterback. And there was something that Smart said on Tuesday that I think kind of helps set the stage for all of this. That Kirby was asked about the way in which the Georgia offense has evolved over the years. He talked about the various playmakers. You know, at one point in time, it's running backs like Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, then it's wide receivers like George Pickens. You've had evolution of the offensive personnel over the years. But then Kirby got more specific about the way in which the Georgia play calling decisions have also evolved there as well. And this is where it gets interesting. And this is where I think 
the stage is set for what you will see from Georgia on Saturday. Kirby talking about his offense earlier this week. I think that evolution is constant, and probably the biggest change is, is the spreading of the ball. And there's so many guys who'd come out of a game last year, and we'd have seven people who got receptions, eight people who got receptions. I just don't think you find a lot of teams in the country that are able to spread the ball around to that many people. And sometimes you don't control that. You know, it's it's uh, it's controlled by what the defense does, which that can be a good thing and that can be a bad thing. If the defense is controlling where it goes, they're telling you where they want you to throw it. Uh, but that's usually the right decision. It's just if you have a guy that has to touch the ball, you got to try to find ways to do that as well. So putting aside the idea of in some games, there are guys that you want to get the football to no matter what the defense is trying to take from you. Putting that aside for a moment, this to me is the way you measure Carson Beck on Saturday in his first start. I would say unquestionably the most interesting thing we will see on display in this game. And you judge this, Kirby Smart says, by how well does he spread it around? Does he make the kind of decisions that get this guy a touch and that guy a touch and that guy a touch? How many different receivers catch the ball from Carson Beck on Saturday? I think that could be an interesting way to judge all this. I also told you the other day that Georgia a year ago led the nation in explosive plays of 20 or more yards he had 98 plays a year ago of 20 or more yards i've said well if you want to get back to that total again this year you need at least seven of those on saturday so judge that there too you know do a lot of guys touch it and are enough guys whether it's a running play that you kind of check into or a passing play where carson shows off his arm strength or uh, a dump off where a guy makes a man miss you know can you find at least seven of those 20 plus yard you know explosive type plays from scrimmage there there as well but this to me is the thing that you see you know if you want the six or the seven touchdown win i don't quite know i think the point spread we're using is 44 and a half right now that's not even really an official line i'm not quite so sure unless you've got like a you know a neighborhood bookie i'm not even quite so sure there's anywhere you can bet this georgia tennessee martin game right now nor do i think you should bet it if you could there are better games to bet than this one on this particular saturday because the big spreads always lead to kind of high uh, variance that never stops being true that's true in this particular situation there as well but we obviously do expect it to be a comfortable georgia win and when you look at how georgia gets there what they put on display i think it's a lot of carson back i think it's some impressive decision making from Beck showing what this Georgia offense has evolved to be a team that gets the ball into a lot of playmakers hands yeah it may not be quite as much Brock Bowers and perhaps it's not quite as much Ladd McConkey and maybe the best of the running games on full display and maybe Georgia's kind of holding back Dominic Lovett until they really want to put him out there but there's still plenty of other guys who can touch it when they do touch it perhaps they do big things Georgia gets its season's to a start on Saturday. Not the biggest game Georgia will play all year long, but it's the first step towards what eventually can be a go for three in 23 season. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. And we're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. All video channels, 10 a.m., uh, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. Uh, of course, radio the afternoon on 960 the raft podcast however you find them just really appreciate you being a part of our program today and a huge thanks to our friends at merriweather and tharp who make the entire show possible you know bob tharp and his family we see them so many times on these georgia saturdays i'm guessing in athens this particular weekend they'll be there too they love georgia football they love supporting dog nation daily because we love georgia football and for those of you who kind of find yourself in a position of need in a time of what can be just a really you know sort of stressful time 
when you are in that position, Meriwether and Tharp is a great resource for you to know. Your source for Georgia divorce, you've heard me say that before. Well, how do you get to be that? And, and, and how does that become true for a company like this? It's because of the thousands of times they've been through this before. And each and every time they go through something like this, they develop what I kind of th like think of as institutional knowledge. That means that the organization just has the kind of experience that can be united together and banded together for your benefit. And they can talk to you about how the law can be leveraged and make this decision and do that. And, and some of that stuff that you're thinking about, perhaps other parts of this are things you haven't fully considered. But Meriwether and Tharp considers this for you because they have just been through this so many times before. So if you find yourself in a tough situation, and if divorce is really the only, you know, end result likely outcome for all of this, then have one of those free initial consultations with one of those Meriwether and Tharp attorneys. Let them talk to you about all the options that are available to you. Let them walk with you on this journey and be your advocate and fight for you when need to. That's what they're all about. So please find them online. It's the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. It's Terrence Edwards later on. Uh, a little bit of a look at the stakes for the Florida-Utah game here coming up in just a moment, too. Prior to that, let me mention one more time what I said off the top of the show. Tonight, Marlowe's Brookhaven. 5 p.m. for the happy hour, 6 p.m. for the live broadcast. We will see you there. Uh, Dog Nation's happy hour, brand new show. It's presented by Marlowe's Tavern. It's hosted by Kaylee Manziel. The entire Dog Nation team, myself, Connor Riley, Jeff Sintel, Mike Griffith, we're all going to be there tonight. So we'll see you there, 5 p.m. for a happy hour hangout, 6 p.m. for a live broadcast. Marlowe's in Brookhaven. Cannot wait to see you there. And by the way, when we're there, I've been telling you this for a couple of days, I'm going to tell you one more time. When we're there tonight, I have been authorized to make a huge announcement. And I do believe, I would dare say, this is one of the biggest announcements that we have made in quite some time. Really, really excited about telling you all about this. So to hear it first, tonight marlowe's tavern in brookhaven for a fun time hanging out for happy hour talking some football getting ready for the upcoming season a fun live broadcast and a very very big announcement on hand tonight at the marlowe's in brookhaven we can't wait to do that with you we will do that this evening okay for now let's go around the doghouse presented today by serve pro and i joked before that we're going to kind of cover this florida utah game as if it were the super bowl i've got my gator hitter t-shirt on today we're obviously ready to root against those lousy stinking gators tonight and of course the big news here is the fact that it looks like the utah quarterback cam rising who was injured in last year's rose bowl is still not healthy enough to play in this game tonight there's been a lot of chatter about this maybe the most prominent example of this came from pete thamel on espn going back to yesterday kind of putting the you know not officially out but certainly the highly probable or highly likelihood uh that that cam rising will not play for utah in this game let me give you pete thamel from espn last night about the quarterback absence for the utes this is thamel cam rising the starting quarterback for utah is doubtful for the game tomorrow night and not expected to play uh sources told me last night that Bryson Barnes, the junior who had one start last year, a victory at Washington State, and then came in for rising in the Rose Bowl after he tore his ACL, will get the look as the starting quarterback for the Utes. We will, Kelsey, also see some of Nate Johnson. The one thing Kyle Whittingham was not vague about this week was that the young quarterback who gives them a wildcat look and a little bit of diamondism from the position will play no matter who the starter is. So that is... Pete Thamel, ESPN, on the subject of 
uh, uh, Bryson Barnes and then Nate Johnson being the tandem of quarterbacks that get used for Utah and I. And I've been saying this now for a while. I think all of this is just completely overrated. Obviously, Cam Rising, if he's healthy, is the best quarterback on the Utah roster. Some of this is complicated because his expected backup, Brandon Rose, who is a three-star Sonny in the 2022 class, is also injured and out for this game. But ultimately, as Thamel points out, Barnes, the guy that's going to play for Utah tonight, he has played. He was 37 to 57 a year ago, four touchdowns, two picks, 7.4 yards per attempt. I mean, those are not like amazing numbers, but they're not embarrassing numbers either. They won at uh, Washington State. He played in a Rose Bowl situation. And keep this in mind, this is not a Utah team that has a bunch of elite recruits on its roster. So the idea that Barnes is a walk-on, that sounds like a really big deal at a place like Georgia and a place like the SEC where the overall level of recruiting talent is just higher. You know, that sounds, you know, certainly a lot different uh, during the here in the SEC. But way out west in Utah – I don't want to say walk-on quarterbacks are par for the course, but the idea that you know somehow you can't play with a walk-on quarterback, there have been plenty of teams in the Pac-12 that have kind of done that before. So ultimately, I think far too much has been made of the rising injury. This is not the kind of quarterback, this is not Caleb Williams missing a game or a Drake May missing a game or, or some quarterback like that where you're talking about a massive you know, 7, 8, 9, 10-point move in the uh, point spread at the highest levels of course to me rising just not that kind of player pretty much consensus right now you see this spread around four and a half and it kind of dipped down three and a half at uh fan yesterday it's kind of settled somewhere around four and a half from like 10 back in the summer to me that's an overreaction on the part of a cam rising injury that has been factored into this game since the beginning of january because that's when he got hurt before so ultimately my job is to make my opinion clear I don't believe Cam Rising's injury changes the outcome of this game. Does it make it harder for Utah to win? I guess it probably does. I mean, certainly at face value, it certainly appears that way. But ultimately, this does not flip the script for me from a from a Utah win to a to a Florida win here and a relatively narrow point spread, four and a half points. I think the Utes still have tremendous value here in this spot. But obviously most people in our audience most people down here in the sec country part of the world are kind of looking at this from a florida perspective and a florida uh vantage point of what this means for billy napier i thought that uh, another espn personality booger mcfarland had something interesting to say about that i'm gonna show you this on twitter or i guess they call it x now i I can think i pretty much still call it twitter but uh, nonetheless uh mcfarland putting it out there that it feels like tomorrow night he said this uh, yesterday is the most important game in the billy napier era so far if you win it everyone starts to forget about last year but if you lose it things get compounded and in a roundabout way what mcfarland's saying right there is true i think the actual better truth the deeper truth probably though is is that win or lose everything gets more complicated after this for florida no matter what in other words if you were to win this when you look at your SEC schedule relatively early in the season for the lousy stinking Gators, it's a Kentucky, it's a Tennessee. Those are losable games whether you win this one or not. And if you were to go on the road and beat Utah, something you did a year ago, but then come back you know, into the southeast and start stumbling in SEC play, honestly, Florida fans are only going to give you credit for that Utah win so much for so long. Eventually, they want to see you beat SEC teams. Last year, Florida lost to Vanderbilt, for goodness sake. So, you know, you know Napier obviously he wants to win this he needs every win he can get just for bowl eligibility this year 
But even if you do win it, Florida fans are still going to judge you on the basis of the performance you have in SEC play. And if you do lose it, obviously things have a chance to sort of spiral fast. But if you start losing these SEC games, that's the thing that Florida fans are going to kind of hold against you. Now, I don't believe that Napier can get fired this year. I don't. I think he's had too good of a recruiting class thus far, assuming all those guys sign, which right now I guess you're led to believe they will. I think Scott Strickland as the athletic director, if he fires Napier, I don't believe that Strickland gets to make the next hire. You know, I think that Strickland's future at Florida is tied to Napier. I think that probably matters here. So I think what Napier can do this season and the Utah game tonight could be the start of this is play his way onto the hot seat. But I don't think that he can get on a hot enough seat this year where he ultimately loses his job. But that doesn't mean there isn't great drama. You know, Florida wants to show it's taken some strides. Florida wants to show, like all SEC teams want to, that the middle, lower tier of the SEC is still better than the top tier of another Power 5 conference, such as Utah, frequent team in the Pac-12. SEC fans, no matter how middling your team may be by SEC standards, they just believe that that kind of team is still better than the best one of these other conferences. That's kind of at stake here tonight. It's good drama. It's a lot of fun. I like Utah. I think they can beat Florida with a walk-on quarterback. Perhaps that makes it more embarrassing for Billy Napier, and if so, that's kind of fun to think about too, I guess. But the point is, we have exaggerated to no end the impact of Cam Rising's injury, a guy who I don't think is one of the 10 or 15 best quarterbacks in the country, I don't believe. I think he's a good quality starter, but this is not the kind of guy that I think is changing games or changing seasons. So without him, I think Utah's still fine. Four and a half is the number. I think that Utah covers that spread. I think they win tonight. And obviously, uh, it's a fun and interesting way to welcome back the start of the uh, 2023 season. And it's also around the doghouse, presented today by our friends at ServPro. Now, Florida's program's a mess, and we can't do anything about that for them. But when you've got your own mess, fire damage, water intrusion, all the things that really make a mess around your home or your commercial property where your business may be housed or the rental property that you're using for a little bit of passive income, something like that, when you've got any situation like that, a mess to be cleaned up, that's where our friends at ServPro can step in. They can help you out. Their restoration specialists can get it all cleaned up, all put back together like it never even happened. That's what ServPro is famous for. Plus, each and every franchise independently owned and operated. So when you do business with ServPro, you're doing business with folks who have just as much of a vested interest in the outcome as you do. So please find them online, ServPro.com for more. That's S-E-R-V, ServPro.com for more on that today great to have sir pro presenting around the doghouse to us here today all right so we're going to keep the conversation going now before we're done we're going to turn our attention fully back to georgia here and there are a handful of georgia players who i believe kind of count as unsung heroes they're probably not getting enough credit but when you think about the success that georgia has a chance to have is it go for three and 23 season on tap these guys probably deserve to get a little bit more credit and on today's show we're going to make sure we do just that for them plus the uh, Florida-Utah game, not the only interesting game set to take place tonight. We'll talk about that. And Georgia fans were roasting Tennessee online uh, over the course of the last 24 hours. We'll tell you why that was true there as well. So a lot for us to do before we're done. But for now, we always enjoy our conversation with the great former Georgia wide receiver, Terrence Edwards. What do you say we do it right now as a part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp? From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Great to have Terrence Edwards back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp today. And Terrence, uh, before we kind of talk Georgia with you, I want to get your thoughts on the big game tonight. 
Florida against Utah. The story here, the expected Utah starting quarterback, seems like he's probably not going to play. Utes kind of down to a walk-on. They're still playing in a very tough Rice-Eccle Stadium. Florida's got a long way to travel to get there. Florida won a year ago. Utah's probably got revenge on its mind. Do you have any early thoughts on how you see this Florida-Utah game playing out tonight? I really don't. Uh, don't know too much about uh, Utah. I do know that their stud tight end, Kincaid, got drafted last year very high. Um, we know Anthony Richardson um, is gone. and So it's just going to be interesting to see how uh, the team, Florida teams looks in Billy Napier's second year. Um, it's college football, and I love college, fo- yeah. college football, even though I hate the Florida Gators. Right. I'm going to watch them tonight. Uh, I just love college football that much. I'm going to just watch and see um, what they have and what they look like. Do they compare to us talent-wise? Because we will play them down the line. But it's just college football, and I, and I enjoy games. So I'm going to sit back and watch it tonight. No, I think that's right. And I think Billy Napier, the Florida coach, is interesting. And the reaction from Gators fans to Napier is pretty interesting, too. You know, Terrence, you and I can both remember back when Florida was very good. You have to be of a certain age to even be able to remember that. But we're old enough that we are able to remember back when Florida had good teams. It seems like it's been a while. And it seems like as Florida has kind of gone through this sort of middling period for their program, I'd say Gators fans' expectations have been kind of watered down where all of a sudden, I don't know that Florida quite, kind of quite has the same expectations it once had. You know, what do you think about Napier in the midst of all this, where it seems like some Florida fans would just be happy to be bowl eligible, which is sort of a strange drop for this, you know, once national championship level program. But on the other hand, you know, you can't be too bad too long without folks kind of getting a little bit restless there as well. How do you think that Gators fans are set up to respond to Napier moving into his second year where, honestly, you know, Florida's going to have to try hard just to have a winning season? Yeah, I think that the Florida fans right now is holding on to their recruiting class this year and they're having a very successful uh, recruiting class so far. I know it's still a long ways before the signing appears, but they're doing very well right now on the recruiting trail. So I think the Florida fans are kind of basing their let's get his players in because he's doing well right now. So um, it's kind of a wait and see from all the Gator fans that I know and that I interact with, even some from my hometown. I don't know, I don't know how I get Gator fans in my hometown in the midst of Georgia land, but <laughs> I got a few down there. Uh, just see how that's what they're saying. Oh, let's see what Billy does when he gets his players in. And he's doing well on the recruiting trail. So I think uh, most Florida fans is optimistic and hope that their team is is you know, going to win tonight, but they're also banking on uh, several more recruiting classes like they have going right now. Moving to the Georgia game on Saturday against Tennessee Martin, you know, the last time we saw UGA play, Terrence, they were beating a national runner-up 65-7 to in the college football playoff national championship game. My expectation for Saturday is that Georgia probably doesn't win this game nearly as bad, which is kind of a strange thing to say. They have clearly proven they can beat almost any team almost as badly as it wants to and yet you know when you think about from injury standpoint from a strategic standpoint who Georgia may be kind of holding back on a little bit for Saturday when you think about the recent MO where you know Georgia probably wasn't just sort of full speed at times last year facing the likes of a Kent State or a Samford I guess I have somewhat meager expectations of the season opener I'm excited about being between the hedges I'm excited about seeing Carson Beck's debut I have my own kind of evaluations where I'm sort of looking to see a few things from this team 
on this particular uh, day, but I don't know that I just sort of see this kind of offensive juggernaut throttling the way we saw to conclude the 2022 season. What are your overall expectations for Georgia against Tennessee, Martin? Well, what I'm going to be looking for is just do we play clean football? Uh, how do everyone look? How does Carson command the huddle? How does he command the team? Uh, defensively, I'm not going to be too worried because we bring back a lot of uh, good football players. We do lose, you know, I think the best football player uh, in college football last year, especially defensively, and maybe overall in Jalen Carter. But we are deep at that position. I'm looking for Michael Williams to become that Jalen Carter, become that guy that's, that's the uh, focal point of the defensive front. Then just wait and see, you know, the cohesiveness of the offense moving from a top mark into Mike Bobo. And I just think that the transition is going to be seamless. And, um, I still look for us to put up a lot of points. I, I, I really do. I just think we're too talented um, on a perimeter. Uh, the offensive line, I think, will dominate. And now in the running back position, who who do we bring into this game? Health, I heard Coach Smart say that uh, Dejon Elkwood is pretty healthy. Uh, Kendra is almost there. He did uh, name uh, Andrew Paul as someone that he's excited to see. So I want to see some of those guys who haven't played a lot of football get an opportunity. But I'm just definitely looking at Carson Beck right now just to see how he handled himself in a real situation, knowing he's the starting quarterback. Yeah, a couple things on that. First of all, on Beck, I said this before you joined us, that you know I love the idea of seeing how many different guys Beck can involve the offense in. First of all, that kind of shows you the overall depth here, but it also shows the overall comfort that Carson has making decisions right now you know if he's spreading the ball around to seven eight nine guys or something like that even if you're not quite seeing as much of Brock Bowers and guys like that just because you don't maybe need them as much seeing who Beck is able to distribute the football to and seeing how many different guys he can get involved in the Georgia offense Kirby said that's kind of what the Georgia offense has evolved to be a lot of different guys getting chances to touch it and Beck's command of the offense I believe could be demonstrated by how many different players he gets involved on the playmaking side there is that something you would agree with oh most definitely if he's getting the ball uh, to uh, several different uh, receivers that means he understands the offense and he understands uh, defenses as well because uh, you may call a play in the huddle for a certain guy but the defense may dictate that you go somewhere else with the football so if, if he's spreading the ball around and, and I'm just looking for us to move the chains I'm, I'm really looking for us to have 10 12 play drives. I, I don't really want to see big plays. I, I truly don't. I want to see us get in there and just move football and just look like a, a well-oiled machine. Yes, I want to see some big plays and some bombs and see uh, Brock catch a slant and just take it. Yes, I want to see that ball. So I want, just want to see uh, the offensive line just moving people. I want to see the, the running backs grinding some yards. I want to see some receivers catching a dig and just making a first down on third and nine and we catching a dig for 12 to 15 yards. Like, I'm just looking to see, can we move the change? Yes, we can make big plays because Tennessee Martin's not as, as good as us. But that third game of the year against South Carolina, we're going to have to grind some some yards out. It's going to be harder. It's going to be tougher. So I'm just looking for uh, those guys to, to go out and just play a, a solid and crisp football game. No, I think that's right. And I've expressed some concern about the Georgia running game overall. I mean, I think – any team is going to have some area in which it doesn't feel that it's you know fully perfect and for Georgia I think the area in which 
you know, some folks have kind of wondered, well, what is going on with the running game? You know, you've had the Kendall Milton injury, the Branson Robinson seen, you know, you know, season ending injury. You know, Dejon Edwards is, you know, kind of whatever he is right now. He's had his own injury stuff going on there too. Uh, even, you know, Andrew Paul's a year removed from a pretty serious injury. And so I think some fans, myself included, we've had some concerns about this Georgia rushing attack overall. And yet, Terrence, as we get closer to the start of the season, no matter how much of that we see on Saturday, I think overall I've kind of grown to be a little bit more optimistic about this. It certainly sounds like they believe that Dejon and Kendall will eventually be fully healthy and eventually be a very big part of this offense, whether that happens on this particular you know Saturday or not. And if you get a fully healthy Kendall Milton, given what he's done, a fully healthy Dejon Edwards, given the experience that he has, Terrence, I believe that can still be the kind of tandem of running backs we're used to seeing Georgia have. Is it Chubb and Michelle? Perhaps it's not. You know, can it be a little bit of what this running attack's been the last couple of years? I still think, yeah, there's a very good chance that it could be. I, I find myself getting a little bit more optimistic about the Georgia rushing attack as the season gets a little bit closer. Oh, most definitely. Do I see a thousand yard rusher? Probably not. But we spoke earlier um, about, you know, 2,500 rushing yards as a group, as a team. Um, I think we can we can definitely you know achieve that goal, but we have to be able to run the football because we just think the Tennessee game when the weather was a a issue and we didn't want to throw it no more. We ran the ball very well. Um, I, I, I truly think you know people and I think Georgia fans really appreciate Kenny McIntosh. He he was tremendous for us last year. I don't see a Kenny on our roster right now that could go and just catch the football out the backfield wheel routes, uh, option routes. Uh, that was a weapon that we used with his passing ability. Yes, I think all those guys have the running ability, but the game has changed right now. We're getting the running back out on the perimeter and using it as an extension of the running game, throwing uh, screens and bubbles and all tight passes to the back. So that's what I'm going to be looking to. Yes, I, Kendall can run it between the tackles. Uh, Dejon can't run it between the tackles. I want to see a running back now be able to catch the ball out the backfield like we've been normally do the last few years with Cook and with McIntosh. I want to finish with this, if you don't mind. Kirby Smart also talked the other day about being a little bit concerned about the overall Georgia wide receiver depth. And most of us sort of see a group that can be on paper as good as anything that Georgia's had. And yet Kirby says, you know, from a total number of guys who've maybe proven that they're ready to go out there and play he's not quite so sure the depth is where it maybe needs to be I'm not sure if you heard Kirby's statement on that but what do you make of the overall wide receiver depth that Georgia has right now I think we're we're good five deep six deep that can go out and and make plays um I mean Brock is considered in the passing game I mean I I know Ladd has been banged up a little bit you still got Rara you still got Dummy you still got Marcus you still got one of my favorites, Dylan Bell. Uh, you still got Arian Smith. So you still got some guys out there. I don't know their injury history. If he's talking about they're being injured, I don't know. But we got guys that made plays at the end of the season. Uh, Arian Smith was a big factor and big reason why we won the Ohio State game. Dylan Bell came in and made some plays. We all know what Ladd brings to the table. We all definitely know what Marcus brings to the table. Uh, Dominique has played a lot of football, and we're very excited about him. Uh, at Mississippi State last year, Rara Thomas was their leading receiver. So uh, I think he might want to temper the expectations. Maybe that's why he said it, but I love the group, and I love how deep we are. 
really quick before I let you go, speaking of Georgia wide receivers, for someone like yourself who has been on NFL rosters, kind of hails from that sort of middle Georgia, you know, part of the world, you know, uh, obviously a former Georgia wide receiver in your own right. What did it mean for you when Kiaris Jackson was placed on the 53-man roster for the Tennessee Titans? I know that's something that Kirby Smart's also celebrated here this week. What did that mean for you personally? I, I sent Kiaris a text after draft night and told him that, you know, even with my great college career and the numbers, I still went undrafted as, as well and made the Atlanta Falcons as an undrafted free agent. So it can be done. And I know what the – I'm a little biased, as I always say, but I know what those four cell players – to do that's the middle of georgia area area code so it was uh, i loved it i sent him a congratulations text i i reposted on my instagram page because i know how unselfish he was as a as a georgia player it was all about the team for kiaris and uh you know i could see him you know having the career that he wants to have and for him going to be an undrafted free agent and making the team that lets you know the work that he's put in to get it to this position uh, Terrence, it's such a great conversation with you each and every week here on the show. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're out there uh, seeing a lot of the guys you've been working and training with. They're having great success on Friday nights so far this fall. So for people who want to follow you, Terrence Edwards, Wide Receiver Academy, see all the things you got going on, how can they find you online? Uh, you can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards, Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, thanks for your time. I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Fun conversation there. And, yeah, those middle Georgia guys, listen, they, they, they stick together. And uh, Peach County, obviously, where Kiers Jackson hails from, one of the best and, and really most you know prolific high school programs in Georgia in terms of the kinds of players that produce. Tough-minded, physically tough type guys. Kiers, obviously, an example of that. Our buddy Randy McMichael over at 92.9, he's an example of that too, former Georgia tight end. Uh, so great to see uh, – a former dog getting some uh, terrific, terrific credit for um, the career put together at Georgia, the kind of football player he is. We talked about this earlier, but Kiaris Jackson making that 53-man roster kind of a cool thing to see. All right, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I want to remind you that coming up April of 2024, it's the return of the Dog Nation cruise, but this time bigger and better than it's ever been before so i want you to go to this website it's royaldogs.com royaldogs.com jessica slater is a terrific travel agent she's put together the website that lets you know about all the fun things going to be going on with allure of the seas an oasis class ship one of the largest cruise ships at sea that's going to be the home to our dog nation cruise here this year so all the special entertainment options all the specialty dining options just so many cool things to do on board allure of the seas and it's going to be a big part of our dog nation cruise here in april 2024 now i'll also tell you this there as well for those and this is why you want to sign up early for stuff for those that sign up and have signed up already for our dog nation cruise for those officially on board they are finding out today about a really cool thing that i'm not announcing to everybody else until tonight so they get a little bit of an early uh, jump on that just because hey we want to take care of those who've uh, you know been good good supporters of ours so for the folks who've already signed up for this year's dog nation cruise they're going to be made aware of a really big thing happening around dog nation they kind of get first dibs on it so that's a really cool thing we're doing for those already on board our dog nation cruise and if you're at marlowe's time tonight in brookhaven we'll tell you that big announcement there as well that is coming up here this evening can't wait for that now as we go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean 
thought it was very funny to see a lot of Georgia fans kind of all having the same joke at the expense of the Tennessee Vols. I guess it was raining up in Knoxville for one of their practices here this week. And so Tennessee put out on the uh, new platform known as X, used to be Twitter. I still call it Twitter because that's what it is to me. But nonetheless, Tennessee football putting out there on social media. Uh, we'll show this on the screen if we can. Yeah, uh, rain or shine. You see the uh, Tennessee player running there in the rain and basically saying they're going to keep working during practice whether it rains or whether it shines. And every Georgia fan that saw this seemingly all kind of jumped on that and obviously made fun of Tennessee because if you want to go back to last November, the litany of excuses that have been used against Georgia after Georgia's beaten some team along the way to two straight national championships, one of the most prominent excuses you heard were Tennessee fans, well, if it hadn't rained, we would have done this and we would have done that. Like, like of, of the all-time sort of excuse Hall of Fame, one of the first ballot entries into the excuse Hall of Fame used against Georgia was Tennessee fans whining about the rain, and now you've got a very unself-aware Tennessee social media poster mentioning that Tennessee football shows up in the rain or when it when it's sunny or whatever the thing says. A lot of Georgia fans were like, that's not quite what happened last November. So good for Georgia fans making fun of all of that. Always looking for a reason to jump on and pounce on one of these rivals, including the uh, Tennessee Vols there in that particular case. Now, we talked earlier about uh, football being back tonight. First kind of full slate of Thursday night action here for this year. Florida-Utah is obviously the most prominent game on tap, but there are a few other games there as well, including one other game involving an SEC team. So I want to give you a couple of highlights here of games that sort of matter to me here for this particular night. First of all, NC State goes up to UConn. UConn's about a 12.5 point underdog at home. I love the Huskies and I like them by you know, I don't want to say they win the game necessarily, but 12 and a half points, way too much to give to UConn in stores, Connecticut here tonight. I like UConn a lot. That to me is a point spread very much worth paying attention to here in this particular game. Some of the lesser games that may be more interesting than you realize. How about South Dakota against Missouri? This is the other SEC team that's playing tonight. I'm not going to try to oversell this necessarily, but it is a little bit of a chance to see the tandem of quarterbacks that Missouri's playing right now. For the moment, we're led to believe that Jay Garcia, the high-profile transfer from Miami, not really in the mix at Missouri. This is going to be Sam Horn. This is going to be Brady Cook. We kind of know what Cook was a year ago, and it really wasn't very much. It's the whole reason why the competition was opened up here this year to try to unseat him. Thus far, I guess the full attempt to unseat Cook has been you know, somewhat unsuccessful. But uh, we will see some of Sam Horn. That's the former Collins Hill quarterback, a part of that historic Collins Hill team in 2021 that also included Travis Hunter. Well, Horn finally getting his shot there at Missouri. He's going to play some tonight. I don't really know what the future holds for Jake Garcia right now. I'm just not quite aware of that. Uh, it would not surprise me if Horn actually outplays Cook. If they're both in, they get a chance. If you're doing some of these like daily fantasy type things or something like that, perhaps decent value on kind of a longer shot type player. Sam Horn having a decent game against South Dakota. I could kind of see that. Maybe that's a homer's pick for me just because he's from uh, Collins Hill. But I could kind of see, see Horn having a, a decent game there for uh, South Dakota. Then I'll also just briefly mention Southern Utah, who I don't know anything about, against Arizona State. That is the debut tonight for Jaden Rashada, the former notorious Florida commit who almost went to Miami and then almost went to Florida, but ultimately didn't go to Florida because they didn't give him the NIL money they promised. He went all the way out west to Arizona State and he's going to start tonight for Arizona State Kenny Dillingham's debut uh as the uh, Sun Devils coach also the debut for Jaden Rashad at quarterback uh Arizona State was also somewhat controversial this week because they accepted a self-imposed bowl ban 
uh, and the so the players there at the program, you know, through no fault of their own, not going to get a chance to participate in the postseason. But the honest truth is, Arizona State probably wasn't going to make a bowl anyway. So uh, a little bit of interest there. The debut of Rashada. One more game. I didn't have this on the screen for you, but I'll mention it there too. A chance to see UCF against Kent State. Kent State's going to be awful this year. But for UCF, this is their first game as a member of the Big 12. John Rice Plumley will be the quarterback for Gus Malzahn there. I think that Rice Plumley could have a pretty big year, uh, assuming he's able to stay healthy. He's just the kind of quarterback that Gus Malzahn always seems to do pretty good stuff with. So you want to see the new-look Big 12 team, Malzahn working with John Rice Plumley. That's also on tap tonight. And we will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of royal caribbean all right i want to turn our attention now fully back to georgia here just for a moment and i think when you look at georgia there are a handful of unsung heroes for uga that i don't know if fully gotten perhaps the credit they deserve for what they're able to do for georgia but we're going to use some words from kirby smart to make sure that we provide them what i think they do richly deserve which is a lot of credit for the the way in which they kind of just sort of keep the train on the tracks for UGA I'm talking about the Georgia defensive tackles a lot of these guys are going to kind of play in a kind of rotational basis here this year and I think some of the reason there's been such a spotlight on the Georgia defensive line is because a guy like Jalen Carter moves on to the NFL he was a top 10 pick but from a talent perspective he may have been more like top one top two top three in terms of the overall talent he brings to the table uh this was a guy when playing and healthy a year ago for Georgia and really for the last couple of years for Georgia, a true dominant wrecking ball, an absolute force to be reckoned with. No one disputes that about Jalen Carter, and no one denies him not being here leaves a void to be filled. That's, of course, true. The other thing for Georgia when it comes to its defensive line, defensive tackles in particular, is the fact that Bear Alexander leaves goes out to USC. Now, if you saw some of the film from Alexander this past Saturday, certainly he was not playing like his hair was on fire, at least in the video that I saw. But nonetheless, that's an incredibly talented guy. He showed that in the TCU National Championship game a year ago. Had he stayed, I think big things would have been expected. He's not here. And so that kind of well-known former elite recruit, you know, kind of creative nickname, all that kind of stuff, him no longer being here also kind of by appearances at the very least leaves some sort of void to be a field, uh, should say void to be filled. So what are you left with? You're left with the Warren Brinsons. You're left with the Zion Logues. You're left with the Nazir Stackhouses. Now, in Stackhouse's case, he's a first-team All-SEC. But still, for a team like Georgia, he sort of counts as a little bit of a rotational piece there as well. That these guys don't get a lot of credit. They don't get a lot of fanfare. All-SEC stuff, yes. But in terms of fame and attention, they're just not going to be recognized the same way Jalen Carter would have been or Bear Alexander would have been You know, had he chose to stay. But they are very important for what Georgia is going to do here this year. And I'm of the belief that Georgia, even if it's not quite as famous a crop of defensive tackles, I do believe, and I believe pretty wholeheartedly, that Georgia will still have the college football world's best defensive line. I just believe that's what's in the cards for Georgia here this year. And the names that make that up may not be quite as famous. Their overall production certainly probably won't be what Jalen Carter's was. But in terms of lining up and just dominating the offensive line that's across from it, yeah, I think this group has a chance to do that. So starting with Zion Lowe, Kirby Smart was asked about Lowe going back to Tuesday night, and he talked about the value that a guy like Logue brings to the table. Remember, Georgia wants to stop the run. Logue is, I think, very good at that. This is Kirby giving Logue some praise going back to Tuesday. Well, he creates a lot of value in the locker room. Uh, he's a lunch pail guy. He carries his lunch pail every day to work, and he gives you an honest day's work every day. Uh, he, he, he competes, he covers that, <clears throat> covers down. He's always one of the 
hardest guys that when they throw the ball, he breaks and covers down. Um, so uh, when you've been in this program as long as he is, there's there's a lot of work that he's done that uh, we certainly appreciate as a staff because he, he buys into the hard work. So listen, when Kirby Smart describes a guy as a lunch pail guy who shows up and does an honest day's work, that kind of plays into the topic that we're doing here. That's not necessarily sexy, right? That's not the kind of jersey that the kids want to buy and wear between the hedges on Saturday. That doesn't necessarily get the attention. But I'm also reminded of the phrase that Bill Belichick made famous, the idea of do your job. What Kirby Smart's saying there in you know, the basic essence, the basic sense of it is, a guy like Zion Logue, who's not super, fam- super famous necessarily, shows up and does his job every single day. When it comes to the job of playing defensive line at a high SEC level, that's a pretty important job to do. So what Kirby's actually saying there is actually a fairly, you know, nice compliment for Zion Lowe. This is a guy we can depend on to do his job, and the job, and the job that he does is incredibly important. But then to kind of broaden this out to the defensive tackles overall, the Brensons, the Stackhouses, and the guys are going to be kind of rotating there. Once again, you know, Kirby Smart says, hey, this is a group that actually kind of sets the standard for us. And for Georgia, who before the game even begins, wants to take away that running game. They want to take that away from from the opposition, force them to be one dimensional. And then Georgia then can then on the field set out to the task and the work of taking away the passing attack. All of that gets so much easier when your defensive line controls the line of scrimmage up front. And it sounds like even though the guys aren't quite as famous and I guess Kirby is somewhat famous. He said there's no game wrecker or whatever phrase that, that you know was used about this a little earlier. Nonetheless, it sounds like Kirby Smart still believes this group is capable of getting the job done. Once again, Kirby Smart on his defensive line here for this year. Yeah, that's what they do. They set the standard. And uh, we challenged them this week to, to set the standard for a game we could practice. And those guys do that. They, they set an example. They're able to in, like they're able to carry the weight and show guys how it's supposed to be done because they have a unique spot because they've been part of, uh, of a lot of success so they carry the weight and they show those guys how to practice and what to do to get better and they've, they've all kind of become products of that because none of those guys were immediate success stories upon arrival they, they kind of had to earn it there's something really valuable in that someone who works his way into the rotation someone who works his way into kind of a starting role or in at least in Azir Stackhouse case if not others a potential all SEC role that can become a proof of concept for other guys. Hey, stay here. Work as hard as these guys did, and one day you can have the same kind of success guys like this have had. You know That, that can't happen. And when Kirby Smart says these guys set the standard for our program, I think he means that. So as you're watching Georgia this season, the game against Tennessee Martin on Saturday, the more important games will come after that. Watch what's happening up front for Georgia defensively. Watch what Zion Logue is doing. Watch what Warren Brinson's doing. Watch what Nazir Stackhouse is doing. Watch what the guys who are rotating there in that spot are doing, eventually perhaps giving way to a guy like Jordan Hall as a freshman and perhaps others there as well. Watch the ways in which this Georgia defensive line, which has set the standard for this team the last couple of years, perhaps does that again here this year. And if Georgia does win it all, all over again here this season, we still think that Georgia defensive line can be a very big reason why couple of golden shoes for you today as we wrap up today and then get ready to see tonight marlowe's in brookhaven we'll show you the first one here on the screen 
Uh, how about this coming from Seth Melton? It's his first college football season. He says living on the West Coast. Seth, of course, uh, serves in our armed forces. He says, which, which means you got to rep them dogs even harder. So he's got his fatigues on there. Also, the Georgia hat, the really cool standing uh, bulldog logo, which I've always loved. Hashtag dogs in Vegas, he says. Well, maybe one of these days, Seth, we can come out in Vegas and see you there. But we appreciate you sharing that with us and hope you enjoy that season. Hey, the good news is when you live out west, the games come on a lot earlier. So uh, you get a little bit more convenient window to uh, watch the games in. So enjoy that, Seth. And thanks for sharing that golden shoe submission with us here today. Also, speaking of go for three and 23, about Dina Pruitt said, I left a message on Coronado Beach in California last week. And if you're watching on video, you see it. Hashtag go for three and 23. She wrote that right there in the sand. And she gives us the hashtag go for three and 23 there with her particular tweet. Dina will give you a golden shoe for that there as well. Spreading the good news out in California that go for three and 23 is upon us. And something else that will be upon us 58 days from right now, our Gator Hater Countdown lousy stinking gators we think they lose tonight we think they lose again in jacksonville in october for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party y'all have a great night enjoy the football we'll see you back tomorrow dog nation daily presented by meriwether and tharp we will look forward to talking to you then